Welcome, and thank you for joining us. My name is Robbie. I'm one of the pastors at Christ Church at Grove Farm. And I would like to invite you to come and be a part of our church, where people are finding hope for today and tomorrow. We meet on Sundays, also on Wednesday nights. We also have a fantastic ministry for children, students, and something for all ages. You can find more information about who we are and what we do by visiting ccgf.org. Now, get ready for a great teaching. Hello, everybody. Um, so I just want to pray first. Um, so, Father God, I just ask that you would speak through me with my story, with my testimony, um, that you would be glorified, Lord, um, and that you would encourage the women here, Lord Jesus, tonight to courageously continue to surrender all of themselves to you um, in every circumstance. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first of all, yeah, I have a story about Anna. Uh, she texts me in December. She's like, hey, do you want to like talk to some women? I was like, Okay, sure. And she did not really announce to me that it was going to be all of you. I thought maybe it was going to be like 10, 15 of you maybe. But so this is like my first time. So give me grace. That's all I'm asking for. Um, all right. So my name is Emily Sad, And my husband is the college and career pastor here, David Sad. And um, I just felt like it was the Lord laid on my heart to first talk about surrender in terms of who Mary was. We just, you know, had Christmas, and we know that she was willing to submit to the Lord and say yes. And so I wanted to read that real quick. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and, see, and she who was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am, the I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. So, um, to me, that was one of the most courageous as a woman in the Bible. Her testimony of being willing to courageously surrender to, to holding and caring the Son of God. I can't even fathom what that would be like because, I mean, I can kind of guess, but 
to even be able to fathom and acknowledge that this is the son of God um, and the shame that she knew she would endure, that was incredibly courageous. Um, so as we women, um, I want to, um, by my testimony, by my story, um, I want to also encourage you guys to continue to be courageously surrendered to Jesus. Okay, so um, I grew up about 10 minutes from here, literally, um, and I lived in um, a beautiful four-bedroom house, and my parents were there, um, and my grandparents lived right across the yard, and I had two other siblings. And so in a lot of ways, you would look at my life and you'd say, it's great. I went to Quaker Valley. Um, I never had, um, like people from the outside would never have known the abuse and the, the drunkenness that was happening in my house. Um, all of that was perpetuated from um, my father. Um, when I was a little girl, he was very, very sexually inappropriate with me. And it was a horror and a nightmare at times. So I'm, I'm not going to say that it was all bad, because as you know, um, it can't always all be bad. But um, when I was growing up, I kept getting exposed to this man, Jesus. My parents did take me to church, um, but I never understood or realized that like there was this personal relationship. And so when I went to Summer's Best Two Weeks, I was like, okay, this is, these are my people, <laughs> and, and they love Jesus, and how, how do I do this? How do I get there? Um, how do I make this jump um, that I see them have? And um, I remember I committed my life to Jesus um, when I was 14, because I finally was able to understand, but I was still living in that abusive situation. My dad was still cruel. Um, he was horrific to my mother. The things that I could tell you are nothing short of just um, horrible. And so um, growing up in that environment and, know and knowing Jesus, I was like, okay, how do I reconcile who God the Father is to me and yet my own father can't stand me. Um, so, my, again, I had grown up with all of this for years. My mother was married to him for 33 years and stayed that long. Um, and by the time I was 23, um, my dad had done enough stuff that my mom said, no more. I can't do this anymore. Um, and when I mean enough stuff, like, he slept with everybody. I, I, I literally was scared a few years ago to do a DNA test because I thought, are people in Swickley going to pop up as my relatives? Like, literally, like, I'm going to have half-sisters and brothers out there. Um, but um, I still haven't, I still, I have the DNA test. I still haven't done them. Um, but um, my dad had done um, awful things to my siblings, too. Um, and so whenever he 
when it was kind of finally over. Um, he wouldn't move out of the house. My mom and I sheltered in place, literally in a room with a brand new lock that my grandfather came over and, and installed because she didn't want to lose the house. And that's what the lawyer kept saying. If you move out, you lose everything. Everything's in his name. But if he leaves, you get it. Um, and it was so scary. I mean, every single night we would coordinate, like um, when we would you know, show up at the house together and we'd go inside this <laughs> locked room and we'd sleep there all night long, afraid to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Um, and so, like I said, some pretty nightmarish stuff. And I, I always thought that one day my dad would snap and kill my mother. Um, and one day, May 15th, I'll never forget it. I was, <laughs> I was coming to my grandparents' house and we were, I was going to coordinate with my mom, but she had to go back to the house and something had happened and my parents started to fight and my dad grabbed my mother by the throat and started to really hurt her. Um, and she was able to escape and she ran to my grandparents' house where we called the police. And that was the last time I saw my dad physically as he was being arrested. Um, now, as some of you know, those charges hardly ever stick and they didn't and he was out, but he was no longer able to live in the house. The court did give us that time of reprieve that he was no longer allowed to live there with us. So my mom and I had the whole house to ourselves and so a time of healing began. But that also meant I had physically no more father in my life. Um, he was out there spreading lies and rumors about me and my sister and my brother and his children and uh, my mother and my grandparents. And he was free to do that. Um, and it was horribly painful. And by all sense of the word, I had every right to never speak to my father again. I mean, realize, when I say my dad was inappropriate, he would take me to bed with him at three years old and he would lay on me. And I can't tell you whether or not I understood it was sexual or not because I just remember I would lay there wide awake, sweating all over. And my mom would think, oh look, she fell asleep because I would pretend. And she would lift me up and she'd take me to my own bed at night. Um, where then I would stay up the rest of the night. It was so bad for me that I didn't grow properly. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but I didn't sleep. And so I spent years, the shortest girl in my class. Um, and everyone kind of laughed and they made fun of that. But it was all because, now I know, it was a lack of sleep. Because then when my dad, when I got some healing and I actually grew like five inches in a year, it was crazy. Um, so, but some of that healing happened even before he moved out. The Lord was so gracious to me that whenever I became a Christian, I remember someone saying to me, your earthly dad can't be your dad, and it's okay, but God loves you, and he will be your dad. And I was like, okay, I can be fathered by God. And so that was what happened, and I, I really kind of dismissed everything my dad said. I wasn't mean to him, but I certainly didn't 
to value anything that he said to me for years. Um, fast forward, um, I'm married. My dad was not at my wedding. Um, my dad was not a part of my life in any way. He did not know that I had three children. Um, I mean, I'm assuming he heard from someone, but um, he hadn't heard it from me. And I get a call from a neighbor of mine growing up. And she said, hey, I don't know if you heard on the news, but your dad actually has been arrested again. And I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. I haven't heard this from this woman in like eight years, but you know, she wanted to make sure I knew. Um, and he had proposed, propositioned a 17-year-old girl um, by offering her cocaine. And what he wanted was to sleep with her. And um, so he got arrested. Um, and they actually had been kind of looking for him for a theft that he had done a couple years before that. Um, so I was so ashamed, again, that here my neighbor is calling me about my dad. And I wanted no parts of my dad. I wanted nothing to do with him um, because I didn't even want my name associated anymore. And so literally when he was arrested, I was like, I, I'm heartbroken. And I went to a chapel and um, David was leading worship um, at Trinity School for uh, Ministry in a small chapel there. And literally, I'm, I'm, I'm kneeling there and I'm praying and I'm saying, okay, Lord, why? Why is my dad all of these things? Why? Couldn't he have been one less thing? Did, did I have to have the embarrassment that not only did he, you know, was arrested again, but he propositioned a 17-year-old girl for sex. Like, this is gross. This is my dad. And I was just weeping. I was broken. And there were a lot of people in the room. And I remember that somebody came up behind me and laid their hand on my back and prayed for me. And instantly, I knew that the Lord had spoken to me. And I can't tell you, like, that I heard it in my ear physically. It just was so perfectly clear that the Holy Spirit had entered that moment and said, Emily, I gave you the perfect father. <laughs> I literally laughed. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was like, um, I know, God, you are my perfect heavenly father. Thank you. He was like, no, I gave you the perfect father. And I was like, um, time out. Could we have a conversation about that? Because he was not perfect, and he hurt me, and he hurt my mother, and he hurt my sister, and my brother, and my family. What do you mean he was perfect? The Lord was so clear and so gracious, and he said, any less or more of who your dad was, you would not run after me. You would not seek me the way that you do. And I was like, whoa. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And he was like, I want you to forgive him because he was a tool to get you to where you are now. And I was like, okay. Um, and I prayed. And the Lord really kind of ministered to me that, at that moment, really just gave me that, that peace that passes all understanding. 
of, okay, I can forgive him. That went on, that was a, the beginning of a journey of forgiveness of my dad. I realized my dad is in jail, and um, he is about seven hours away. I didn't know this at the time, but my dad actually was at Waymark Prison, which is for mentally ill. And I didn't know that. I didn't even, I, I, again, I just didn't fathom that my dad was mentally ill. When I found out my dad was diagnosed with narcissism, made so much more sense my whole childhood. I was like, dang, no wonder I felt like I was like on a yo-yo, um, constantly never knowing what was actually happening. Um, and he was diagnosed with some other things. But all that to say, that was the main one that made the most sense to me. My dad was incredibly selfish, and everything was always about him. And so when um, the Lord asked me to forgive him, um, it, was, it was one of those, my family, my mom's not going to understand. My sister's not going to understand, Lord. What, what's going to happen? And he said, trust me, and I will walk you through this. So here we are. I go and I visit my dad and I forgive my dad and I set boundaries. My husband helps me to set boundaries. And it was something that I had to surrender every single time I talked to my dad on the phone. He was completely still unhealthy. He still had no idea how to really love me. Um, he would bless me in spite of himself. Um, it was interesting because he knew that God was so important to me. And so from Waymart, Pennsylvania, he would set mail me letters. And those letters always had scripture in it. And what's funny is I lived in South Carolina at the time, so it would take a few days to get through, you know, what, you know, when he sent it and that kind of stuff, it would take a long time. And they would always be scripture that the Lord was speaking to me at the time. And it was so interesting. I was like, okay. And that temptation to be like, oh, but my dad, my dad is blessing me. No, God was using my earthly father as a tool to bless me. But it all was coming from my heavenly father. Um, and again, it was that surrender of believing that it wasn't my dad because I couldn't have that expectation that my dad could or would ever come through for me. He wasn't going to. Um, but God was through my dad, because he loved me. Um, and so when, um, when we moved back from Pennsylvania, um, I didn't know how to have a face-to-face -face relationship because my dad was let out of jail. And um, I was really nervous about that, and seeing him again face-to-face -face was pretty scary. Um, but unfortunately, my dad had decided to drink himself to death, and so... He fell. He was in an, um, a nursing home where he was dying very, very quickly by the time I got to him. Um, but I have to tell you that surrendering my rights to be angry and surrendering everything to Jesus to say, okay, I can love this man in spite of everything he had done, in spite of all the things he didn't do, um, I was able to lay on the bed next to him and tell him it was okay to go. Um, it was hard. 
because I wanted so badly to have that earthly presence of a father. But the last time I saw him alive, he was curled up on the bed and he couldn't speak anymore. He could understand me. And I kissed him and I told him how much I loved him and that I forgave him. And then I left and I cried. And I cried and I cried because he died shortly thereafter. And I knew that it was over, that this side of heaven, I was not going to have a healthy father. But um, I knew that God had used him in my life to surrender all of those things that I thought I had the right to be angry with, that I wanted so badly to hold against him. Because again, <laughs> trust me, I went to therapy. Lots of therapists were like, oh yeah, you should have nothing to do with him. You should have nothing, you know, you have every right to be angry. I did, I did, I had every right. And yet what the Lord did in me by surrendering that um, precious relationship became something I value and I treasure. It still hurts, but um, yeah, I loved him and I tried to love him well. Um, so ladies, I want to encourage you to think about Mary's surrender and think about how the Lord asks us to continue to surrender. Um, Another funny little surrender. Do I have time? Okay. Um, <laughs> whenever, um, it's not funny, actually, I guess I should say it's funny. Um, when I was getting married, um, David and I walked through pre-marriage counseling and all that good fun stuff and everything. And um, the guy came to us and he said, so we approve you and David to get married and you know, we want you to, to do that. And I was like, okay, I'm like, fantastic. Um, he's like, but the guy that you want to marry you, he's leaving in six weeks or for six weeks on Saturday. This is a Tuesday. And he was like, so how about Friday? How about get married Friday? I was like, ah. Now, what you don't know is... Um, I was very, very pregnant with my daughter, Elena, who's sitting back there. Um, David and I had messed up big time, and we got things out of order. And so we went through, and we surrendered to the process of what the church required of us. And so when that Tuesday in Starbucks and Swickley, if you've ever been there, you know it, when the, when the priest said to us, yes, we, I, you know, we approve you, how about this Friday? My answer was yes. And so all the things that I thought I wanted in a wedding, all the things I thought I deserved, all the things that I had anticipated from a little girl, they didn't matter anymore because Jesus said, I want you to marry this man. I want you to be one before this baby comes. And so, yeah, I was very big pregnant and I waddled down the aisle, and she kicked me the whole way. Um, and we had about five and a half weeks of honeymoon bliss before baby came. Um, but again, I, you know, I could have fought for that. I could have stuck to, no, I want that wedding. 
but I knew that I knew that I knew that it was far more important for David and I to be together because we had submitted to that process again um, that, the, that the church had asked us to. Um, and so it was far more important for us to be together when that precious baby came. So, yeah. Again, surrendering can be big things. It can be little things. Um, but um, remind yourselves of the stories of where God has already asked you to surrender and that you have succeeded. And that's what I want you guys to do. I want you to tell each other your stories of where the Lord has asked you to surrender and give up um, because he has a better plan. David and I have been very happily married for 25 years. Hasn't been easy. Um, That's another story for another time. Um, But the Lord has been faithful um, because I think our yes um, on that Tuesday was incredibly important. Um, And so... I think I think the, I guess the last thing I would say is I want you also to share and this will be on your on the table discussion share where the Lord might be asking you to surrender something it might be a relationship it might be a um, a job it might be a move, it might be whatever, um, but ask the Lord to show you and reveal to you um, what he's asking you to surrender, if he's asking you to surrender. So that's my story. <laughs>